for nearly all of my adult life, at least from the time I was 20 or 21, I have been an observer of people. First, as a newspaper reporter, all of my editors just drilled into my brain, pay attention, watch, observe people. Now, there are a lot of newspaper or journalists today who don't observe. They've already got their minds made up what the story is, so they just tell us their opinions, and that's a whole different sermon for a whole different time. But after I finished about 10 years in the news business and entered into seminary, I became an observer of people as I already am, and I still do to this day. I watch, I, you know, I don't know whether it was my father or somebody who said, you can learn going in through this life when you keep your mouth shut and your eyes open. Fortunately, we close our eyes and run our mouths all the time, but that's, that's another sermon for another time. And so when I read the gospel and scriptures, I watch with my eyes and when I read I hear with my ears and I observe what is happening and I've, I've learned uh, through my life that that people sometimes most of the time go through life with one appearance to the world they can be smiling or they can be looking like they're happy but they're torn up inside and then there are some people who just, we don't know what what's going on in them. The world is and always has been a difficult place. Satan is still active in the world, though he has been defeated decisively by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has no claim on any of us and no authority on us or over us except when we choose to give it to him. And don't do that. It's ridiculous. Why? Would you ally yourself with a defeated entity? It makes no sense. But when I read the gospel, I'm, I remember that early in my news career, I thought I had invented a very wise saying. I've since learned that it was not original to me, and so I can't take credit for this, but I began to see what I called the edge of the bed syndrome that happens basically to all of us, maybe many times, when we have a crisis in our life that keeps us awake and we wind up sitting on the edge of the bed in the middle of the night going, Lord, is this all there is? Is this what life is? Surely, Lord, there's more than this. And that's a cry of anguish. That means something is missing in our lives. And I want to give you the punchline to that before I even look at the gospel. The punchline is when you wind up on the edge of your bed or anywhere else going, Lord, is this all there is? Is there more? When you hear that and ask that, the answer is yes. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you telling you yes. There is more, much more, 
than you can even imagine. Power, joy, compassion, love, mercy. There is more for you. Because our gracious Lord continues to give us more of Himself every day. Even Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations says the Lord's mercies are new every morning. If you're not getting your mercies new every morning, then you're not getting the more that He has for you. Yes, there's more. These people in the Gospel today that left the entire Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem went out into the wilderness to the Jordan to see one man who had a simple message. John the Baptist. We can't get to Christmas without going through John the Baptist. The forerunner. The one that God chose to be the announcer of the one who is to come. We know a little bit about John from the Gospels. There's some other traditional things about John that we know. First of all, he was born to a very important family. His father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. We know that John was a cousin of Jesus. That the Virgin Mary and Elizabeth, John's mother, were cousins. And by the time the, Holy, the angel appeared to Mary and told her that she would conceive and bear a child who would be Christ the Lord, and by the time Mary had said, Yes, Lord, be, be it unto me according to your word. The angel said to Mary, and this will be the sign to you that this is true. Your cousin Elizabeth, who was said to be barren, is now with child, and she's in her sixth month. And we know that that child was John the Baptist. But it wasn't obvious that it was going to be John the Baptist because Elizabeth was thought to be barren. But Luke tells us in his Gospel, we're reading through Mark now, Luke tells us that when Zechariah was in the temple doing his service for the Lord, that's a high position. Very high in honor and respect in, in the society of that day. That the archangel Gabriel appeared to, to Zechariah and said, your wife Elizabeth, the one who is barren, will con conceive a child who will be the forerunner of the one who is coming into the world. Now we know how Mary, the Virgin Mary, responded to the archangel by saying, yes, let it be unto me according to your word. That's not what Zechariah did in the temple. He responded with disbelief. How is this even possible? How can this happen? Because of his stubbornness to believe, he was struck mute couldn't speak at all. So when he went home, they said, something's happened. Just, something's happened to him. And I imagine Elizabeth said, what a blessing to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they knew that she was pregnant. And the discussion with Zechariah right there was, well, what are, what's his name going to be? And the tradition then of someone so high up in society like Zechariah, the firstborn son would be called after, named after the father. So they all said, his name will be Zechariah. And Zechariah went. 
And finally, when he was able to speak, he said, No! His name is John. Well, there's no one named John in this family. Why are you doing that? His name is John. So he was born, John the Baptist, into a priestly family. He would have been ex expected to follow in his dad's footsteps and be a servant in the temple of the Lord. That's not quite the way it happened. We pick up John in Mark's gospel today wearing camel's skin clothes, probably with wild, unkempt hair, eating locusts and wild honey in the desert, the midbar it's called in Hebrew, the desolate places, the Judean wilderness. Not what dear old dad probably thought was going to happen to his son. Now one of the questions that my reporter's mind asked, and we don't have an answer to this, what did his dad think about him? He wasn't standing in the temple wearing his priestly garments. He was down to the Jordan River in the middle of nowhere wearing camel skins. And he had a powerful message. All the people were told from the Judean surrounding countryside and all of the people in Jerusalem went to the Jordan to hear this wilderness prophet. We know from Matthew and Luke's gospel what his original message was. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. And so the people heard, he's, he's summoning us. It's calling, which tells me that those hordes of people had been having edge-of-the-bed syndrome going, surely there's more than this. We're doing the same things over and over and we're still feeling the same way and nothing is happening. And the Romans are still got their thumb on us. Is this all there is for us? Of course, we know the answer to that is no, it's not all there is. So they went to John, flocked to him at the Jordan. And Mark tells us when they got there, they heard him say, Behold, there is one coming after me who is more powerful than I am. The thongs on his sandals I'm not worthy even to bend down and untie. I am baptizing you with water for the forgiveness and remission of your sins. He will baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so, he was baptizing. And they came to him because they all obviously wanted something more out of their spiritual lives. They weren't hearing in the temple, repent of your sins. You're broken. You're incomplete. You need to unburden yourself of evil and take on the garment of light. They weren't hearing that. They were hearing, keep the commandments which is good. We need to do that too. They were hearing different things and it wasn't hitting the spot that only the Holy Spirit can fill. We know on one occasion, John was in the water baptizing when Jesus Himself came to be baptized. We read about this in Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus comes to Him and John goes, you're coming 
to me to be baptized? It is I who should be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let it be so for now, for in this way we are fulfilling all things righteous and righteously. So John baptized Jesus with the baptism for the remission of sins, though he was the one without sin. And I've got to tell you that when Jesus went into that water, he sanctified forever the waters of baptism. And we know on another occasion, John was baptizing. John had a number of disciples following him. He was very charismatic. Probably had some harsh words to say about the state of affairs in his world. And two of them, one was John and one was Andrew, who became Jesus' apostles. And John saw Jesus walking on the other bank of the Jordan and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one. He is the one. I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Him and stay. Now you go follow Him. And John and Andrew did. They became apostles of the Lord Jesus. They too felt there's got to be something more. There has to be something more. I, I know far too many people in my life, and you probably do too, I know because I've been one of them, who seek earthly satisfaction, earthly honors, earthly glories. We can pile those things on us, but they don't address the empty place in our soul. Only the Lord can fill that place. Now it seems like it doesn't really matter how much we have. Some people think that we're going to be judged by God on how much we have or what we've done or our accomplishments. No. God's measuring system is not the same as the world's. He sees us as His precious, unique children. There's only one of you. We're all different. I, I once knew uh, triplets when they were young that were all different. Totally different. Uh, there was one, story, it was oh, about 20 years ago, I remember reading about triplets from Waco, Texas, that looked alike, and they all took the DNA test, and they were all different. They were biological triplets, but they were different. We are all different all unique and precious because Jesus wants us to be unique vessels for Him to pour into us His love and His mercy and His compassion and His power. One of the things that we miss in our faith far too often is the power, the energy that Jesus has for us. The spiritual energy the world can't give because the world doesn't even understand that. And when we're so focused on the world, we miss it. That's what leads us to the edge of the bed. I've been there. I know you have too. We all do. Whenever we slow down enough to take stock of what we've done in our lives, you know, a 
spiritual inventory sometimes it's called, or examination of conscience it's called, we find that we come up on the short end. We don't live up to what the Lord wants us to be and who He wants us to be. We don't do the things that He wants us to do. We leave undone things that ought to, to be done, and we just sort of muddle along because we're broken. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit residing within us to give us the energy and the joy and the enthusiasm and the compassion and the kindness to make a difference in the world. He comes into us whenever we feel that sensation of, is this all there is? Surely there is more. That's the Holy Spirit saying, yes, there is more. Turn to the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. He is faithful. His faithfulness is new, new every day. And the power that He has, the resurrection power that burst forth from the empty tomb on Easter morning still transforms the world, including us. So when we feel down or low, remember there's more. There's more. And whenever we get to that point, just remember who it is who's summoning us to be close to Him. Now, even the religious authorities in Jerusalem, we were told, went to John the Baptist. Even they knew something was wrong. They knew there was one who was coming. The Messiah was coming. And we know that even those same people who went to John who were awaiting the Messiah, once the Messiah came in the Lord Jesus, they weren't prepared to receive Him. They wanted a different type of Messiah. They wanted a worldly Messiah who would bust heads and throw off kingdoms. Jesus didn't come for that. He came to die for us to take away our sins and to provide through Himself our way into eternity with Him. And He still does that. That's the more we're expecting. We won't get all of it. We won't feel all of it until we get with Him in eternity. But you come to this table, you receive Him. You're receiving Him. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. He is the one who changes everything, including us. Not so that we can just feel good about it, but so that we can go out and share it with others and they can feel the joy and the compassion and the love and the acceptance and the mercy of God in their lives. That's the more. And it only comes from one place. It comes from Him. And remember, whenever you find yourself wanting more, you know who it is who's calling you to be close to Himself. <laughs>